Well, good morning, everyone. It's very good to be here and very good to see each one of you. Wow, we. Uh, last weekend, we've been living in the glow of that because of the uh, ministry center uh, birthday and, and also the evening where we were able to come together and celebrate with uh, fireworks, get to see so many people from different campuses. And uh, the chariot you gave to us is <laughs> absolutely amazing. Blew our mind. Thank you for that golf cart. And while Sunday night driving it around the parking lot, picking up people, it was my privilege and honor to pray with this lady sitting back here on a fourth row who received Christ Sunday night. We welcome you this morning. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. And uh, it's just a wonderful privilege to be able to worship God together with you. Now, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. I love the book of Philippians, and this is a great epistle, and God speaks to us in many ways throughout his scriptures, but I believe that God wants to talk to us. We're going to be in a a message series about six weeks long, and it's going to be a message series called uh, Free to Fly. And Free to Fly is talking about when we have come to Christ and we have come to him in faith, and he has received us and we have, have begun new life in him, sometimes it's very easy for us to be held back by something, something in our life that binds us up and keeps us from really being able to enjoy the freedom that Christ offers to everyone who has called on him. So there are many things that could be added into a message like this, no doubt, into a series like this. But what I want to do is look at several of the big rock issues that I've noticed over the last number of decades of ministry and bring those to the surface because those tend to be some of the areas where people are tripped up the most. In our passage today, we see that the Apostle Paul has an incredible pedigree, but he does not have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. You may have heard the story by S.D. Gordon, how a little fella had a bird cage. It was beaten up pretty bad. He was out in the field, and he was running all over the place. Pretty soon, he decided that he would try to catch some birds, and before long, he had caught some birds. He put them in the cage, locked them in good, and then he made his way back into town, and as he was coming back into town, there was a man who saw him and said to him, said, hey, what do you have there? He said, well, I have some birds. He said, what are you going to do with the birds? He said, well, I don't know. I'll probably just torment them a little bit, play with them, then I'll feed them to my cats. The man said, how about I give you $10 for that old cage and those birds? The little boy said, well, they're not really worth that. These are field birds. This cage is worth nothing. And the man said, here's the $10. If you'll take it, I'll take the cage and the birds. And the man took the cage and took the birds. Boy took the $10. As soon as the boy was run on into town, the man went back out to the field, opened the door to the cage, and the birds were able to go free. But for the sake of our illustration, for the sake of our message series, one of those birds kind of stayed back in the cage not really going free, not taking advantage of the freedom that was offered. It was bound up by something, and we want to look at what that could be. It could be different for different people, different for people sitting next to you. It could be different for the people in the next service, different for people in other campuses. Maybe someone sitting in Palmerton has a different thing. Maybe someone in Lehigh and another, someone online, someone somewhere else right now has something different than you do. Yet we all have gathered here today, and we see what's going on, and we understand what's happening. So in the life of the Apostle Paul, I want us to look as this passage unfolds so beautifully with three stages of his life. 
that show us how we can become free in Christ to fly to the purposes he has in mind for us. And so I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. There's a little note guide in your bulletin. If you want to follow that, at least you'll know when we're coming close to landing, even if you don't really follow along. But I think there's something for us in this. You will notice first, the first stage is this. It's what I call a self-serving Paul. Verses 4 through 6 highlight this. He's very self-serving. In verses 4 through 6, he doesn't mean to be self-serving. He doesn't look at his life as self-serving. He's a type A, but he's not really on an ego trip necessarily by this. Look what it says to us. He was circumcised at the correct age. He was of the esteemed tribe of Benjamin. Everybody in his era of the Jewish tribes knew which tribe they were from. He was from the esteemed tribe of Benjamin. He was steeped in the Hebrew language and in its tradition, and religiously that set him apart. He was able to be a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were a religious sect that interpreted the law of Moses, and they were the most strict. And he observed the religious law blamelessly. In other words, he kept it to every dot and every T crossing. He kept it perfectly. He had a virtue that set him apart even beyond that. He persecuted people like you and me, Christians. He despised them because they were polluting the system of religion they had in place. He was absolutely opposed to them, and he did not have any use for them. Notice Paul's crash. He thought he was right, but he would come to realize he was wrong, dead wrong, dead wrong in his pursuit to satisfy the deep longing of the heart the relationship with Almighty God. He's empty. He found out that earthly esteem did not satisfy that deep desire of the heart. Positions and titles that he had were not enough. All the accolades, not enough. I mean, people no doubt said to their, to their kids, why don't you be like Paul? Teachers no doubt said to their students, why don't you be like Paul? Why don't you go ahead and be like him? He gets all of his homework done. He memorizes all of his lessons. He's the type of guy who does everything right. He's very attentive to the right and to the wrong of everything. I'm going to meddle right now. I want you to nudge your neighbor and wake them up. (laughs) Many people that come to our campuses at BWC have come from someplace else. I came from someplace else. And yet when we have come, we have come into a fresh understanding of who God is and who he really wants us to understand and see him to be. We come from a lot of different religious backgrounds. Many of you have said to me the background you have come from. And it is very, very unsettling to your extended family that you have chosen to come here. They don't know why you are here. They don't understand how you could have come in here and appreciate being here. As they said, in one town not far from here, they said, those people over there are a cult. They just don't know. They just haven't tasted and seen for themselves. They have not heard the good news. 
It is an alive relationship in Jesus Christ that we are promoting, and that is our message. That is our story. He comes into a life. He transforms a life. He has given us his word to live by, his Holy Spirit to guide us and to comfort us, and he provides eternal heaven for all of us who will call on his name. That's not so complicated. But you go back to your dinners and your picnics, and you have to explain where you're going. You don't really even want to talk about it. It's a stress point for you. Paul could identify. I can identify. Even though I had a relationship with Christ when I made a switch to the Wesleyan Church, it was a quantum shift. I received a scalding letter or two. We were told we would go to hell. We were told we would divorce. We were told we would not last. I smile about it now. I stressed about it then. I followed the Savior, and I followed him completely. And we have seen the campuses fill with people that have no background, or they have some religious background, and they'll come and they'll say, well, you probably don't know, understand or know my story. I came from, and they'll list what church it was, and I'll stand there and I'll listen to them for a little bit, and in myself I'm saying, oh yes, I understand a whole lot more than you think I get it. Many of you have gone through the catechism, but you never knew Jesus. Many of you have gone through all kinds of religious uh, ritual, but you did not know Jesus. You never were told the gospel message clear enough, and you never really received him. And we've had people come in here and say, I served on committees and consistories and boards, and I sang in choirs, and I even taught stuff, but I never really knew Jesus. That's Paul. That's him. He wanted to know him. You want to know him. I wanted to make sure that I was not hiding behind any bar, that I had a clear relationship with the living Lord, and nothing was between, so I could achieve what was right. Tom Brady, quarterback. Any of you Tom Brady fans and not bashful to say it? One person, one (laughs) lonely person. I can't see every campus, but I think I can hear they're just... He's won seven Super Bowls. The guy is stinking. All right, he's good. Amazing record. Wow. After he won the third one, he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? That was in his 2005 interview. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reach my goal, my dream in life. It's got to be more than this, he said. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. There's got to be more, got to be more. And you might find yourself in that first stage. Some people might find themselves in the second stage. Verses 7 through 9 talked about a self-surrendering stage. What is what this stage does? 
If you go back to the book of Acts, chapter 9, you'll really find out where this is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. In Acts, in the ninth chapter, you begin to realize Paul encountered Jesus. He went by the name Saul then. When he came to Christ, his name was changed to Paul. But here in verse 4 of Acts chapter 9, there's this bright light that shines on him from heaven. And there's this voice that calls out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, he doesn't understand the light. He does not understand the voice. He does not know who it is. And so in verse 5, he asks because he's traumatized, he's clueless, his heart probably had just about skipped a beat or ten, and he may have been breathless in this moment, catches his breath, and he says these words, Who are you, Lord? Now, he doesn't yet know Jesus. So really, when I did the background study in this, I understood that he, he just meant, you're superior. I know there's something. I mean, a bright light. I haven't seen that before. This voice, you're better than us. Who are you? He's asking this question, but it doesn't stop there. Verse 5, the voice answers back. The voice answers back. And when the voice answers back, Paul had to be absolutely startled beside himself because the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Whom you are persecuting. Everything he had believed, all the religion he had gone for, all of the success he thought he had is now coming into perspective. Back to our passage in Philippians 3, go to uh, verse 7. He says, I look at all of my successes, all of my pedigree, all of the things I had done religiously, and I said, oh no, it's loss. It's a loss. It's a total loss. Isaiah had a similar experience in chapter 64 and verse 6. He said, all of my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. It's like wiping a baby's spit up and say, whoop, that rag's dirty. Can't use that one. It's like using it to change the oil. Oop, that one's dirty. Wiped your hand. Can't use that one. It's a filthy rag, he said. You see, relationship with Jesus is about what, catch this, is about what he has done for us and not about what we have done for him. He does not need us. He's God. But he wants us. God is love. He chooses us. And he comes to the cross and dies on the cross and suffers, paying the penalty for our sin. And he resurrects from the dead. And he allows us to be made right with God through that. He forgives us of all of our sin. He transforms our life. He promises us eternal life in heaven if we trust in him. And for you, if you have trusted in other things, it is absolutely scary to do a free fall of faith into the grace and the mercy of God because you want to do something. You think you have to do something to be able to earn this. I mean, nobody ever gives you a golf cart. 
without you feeling like you give something back. You don't want to die owing anybody anything. I grew up that way. German heritage, like you. I grew up that way. I know that. I understand that. But at the same time, he continues in verse 8. He says, I considered it all rubbish. So I dug into that word a little bit. Don't want to dig into that word. (laughs) Smells funny. It means garbage. The message, Eugene Peterson put it this way, verse 7 and 8, comes up on the screen here. So let's just look at it. The very credentials these people are waving around as something that is special. I'm tearing them up and throwing them out with the trash. That's pretty modest, pretty genteel to say it that way. I'm throwing away those certificates that I got. That's what he's saying. And why, he continues, because of Christ. He has a clear view of Christ and not religion. There's a difference. Continue on. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, not secondhand faith, not because mom and grandma had it. I have it. I know in whom I have believed, Paul said. I know myself. Everything I once thought I had going for me, are you ready? is insignificant. So he told us it was trash, he's going to put it in the trash. Now he tells us it's insignificant. And do you read those last two words? That's pretty kind, the way Peterson writes it, because that's what it means. He said, in case you didn't know it was trash, it's rubbish, it's worthless. He said, it's dog dirt. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? It is. And Paul wanted us to understand that. He understood what it was to have your ladder leaned against the wrong wall. And he had his ladder leaning against the wrong stinking wall. And it was unsettling for him. So he had to unlearn some of that religiosity, listen to this, to go be with Ananias for a while, to be mentored and coached. He has Aquila and Priscilla, a couple, they're tent makers that would travel with him some and they helped mentor him on. Then Apollos comes along. If you read about it, you understand Apollos comes along. You understand that, that Paul ends up being discipled a little bit more and he continues in the faith and in the journey. And because he had that revelation on the road to Damascus where the Lord speaks as a light and as a voice, he qualifies to be called an apostle because an apostle had to be taught exactly by Jesus. So he qualifies as an apostle, the apostle Paul. Titanic was going down, true story. Titanic's going down, you know it, it went down, right? If you know it did, say yes. yes. We know that, right? It's going down. As it's going down, it is, it is a slow descent. But it is a descent that is sure. A lady asked, she was already out ready to get on the light boat, said, can I go back just for a second? They said, we'll give you three minutes, we're leaving without you if you don't get back here by then. She races across the deck, races 
toward her cabin, goes through various rooms. The boat is starting to tip. Things have slid to the part of the room that the boat is leaning toward now. She races to her room. She does not get her personal items. She doesn't get some of the jewelry she had. She reaches up on a shelf and she gets three oranges. She races back to the little boat and says, I'm here, I'm here. Jumps on the little boat and her life was saved. 30 minutes before that boat hit that iceberg, she would have given anybody those oranges, left them on the shelf, and let them rot. They didn't mean anything to her compared to the jewelry that she had. It was worth more. The smallest of the jewelry was worth way more than all three. But in this moment, her perspective was quite clear. And so now with this understanding, she says, wait, I'm going to lean into this. I need those oranges if I'm going to be riding on that boat. My diamonds can do me nothing. The oranges can keep me alive. Paul says, wait a minute. I'm walking through this life. I know it's going to come to an end sometime. I want to make sure I have this right. And so when you think of the bird in the cage, you don't want to be looking behind the bar of some kind of religion. You want to be looking squarely in the opportunity of relationship that we can all have with Jesus Christ. It's rich it's rewarding. It's the way to go. I love walking with him. It's not a drudgery. I'm on this journey on purpose. And whether you go or not, I'm still going to go on it because I have determined, I made up my mind, this is the way I'm going. And I know, like Paul said later, in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep everything I've committed to him against that day that I see him face to face in just a little while. I love him. Perhaps you found yourself in this second stage. There is a third stage. Look at it real quick. Listen faster, please. The third stage is what I call a God-centered stage, verses 12 through 15. And we'll look at this a little more in depth next week. I'll just glance at it this week. Verse 12, Paul expressed a new focus that was quite clear. His focus is to please Jesus Christ, to live for Jesus Christ. He now focuses on the middle man on the middle cross. Jesus. He is the one he focuses on. He now focuses on the empty tomb. He now focuses on the words of Jesus Christ, which come to give life. I am the way, Jesus would say. I am the truth. I am the life. Verse 14. He expresses his new purpose, not just his new focus, but his new purpose. His new purpose is to please Christ. I want to live the life Christ has for me. For me to live is Christ, he would say later. I want to honor him. Look at verse 13. He leans in and he says, this one thing I do. What is the one thing he does? Well, yeah, if you're a lady, you'll still do dishes, do laundry. You'll still go to your job. You'll still be the educator you are. You'll still be the carrier. If you're a guy, you're still going to, you know, do some dishes. You may, you may vacuum the floor. You may do whatever you do. You do all this kind of, but you may also continue in your work. You may still solve problems, whatever you do. He said, this one thing I do. What's the one thing that's bigger, the tantamount thing? He said, I focus on Christ. I focus on Christ. Now, he's a type A guy, obviously, as list shows as much. He's a type A guy, in my estimation, and by studying out his life. And we look at him, and we say, wow, he finally is getting it right. He has a single focus, not a shotgun approach. Now, I don't know anything about training lions. Do you? I don't know the first thing about it. But if you were to train lions, according to what I understand, you have to have a pistol, probably a smart idea. You have to have a whip, probably a smart idea. 
But I've understood that one of the most important things you have is a stool. A stool? What do you have a stool for? How many feet are on this stool? Somebody say it. You bet. There are four of them. Now, you would have a lighter weight stool, but you put this up toward the line. You jab it toward the line from what I understand. it. In doing that, in doing that, guess what? Guess what? The lion doesn't know which one of those feet to go for. And it starts to back off and settle down because it's trying to please this one and it's trying to settle that one and it's trying to resolve that one and it's trying to do this one uh, to wipe it out as a problem. It just doesn't know which one. Paul said, wait a minute, I'm not trying to please all these people around me with all of these rituals that I go through. I want to please one and his name is Jesus. I want to know one, and his name is Jesus. And he says, God has made this clear to me, and if you're confused about any of this, he says in verse 15, God will make this clear to you. You see that cage bar that he was behind of religion as he's trying to get to God? Finally, he gets it's out of the way, and he's able to fly free. He's able to live free. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it comes up on the screen. Look at it here. Now we have this light shining in our hearts. That's Jesus Christ shining in our heart. But we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. In other words, we have limitations, and so we understand that. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. It is not our own righteousness, the songwriter would say, but it is Christ within ruling and reigning and freeing us from sin. It is him. So what did Paul do after that? Did he do any works? Yes, he did, but from a whole different perspective. Instead of working to Christ, now he's working, if you will, from Christ. Christ is through him now. Christ is working. What happened? What did he do? Did he do anything? Oh, I think he did. He wrote just about two-thirds of the New Testament after he met Jesus. Before that, he didn't. He mentored many people. It's recorded for us in the scripture. He took many long missionary journeys and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, starting many churches. He spoke to rulers of countries, nations, because God took him into those audiences. One thing, he used to run around trying to collect people and incarcerate them and get them persecuted, possibly even dead. For following Christ. Tradition tells us that he was arrested, taken to Nero's square, and there he was beheaded for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul lost everything that he might find the only thing that could make life worth living and give him forgiveness and peace and purpose, and eventually give him heaven. Have you found yourself in a stage today? Like Paul, do you see yourself a little more clearly today? Maybe you're kind of between some stages. Maybe you're just a little bit afraid of where you are and where you're headed. You might want to dig a little deeper and say, God, show me clear, more clearly what you have for me. And allow him to lead you. He led me on a path a couple of years. And 
really clarified my focus, really brought me into an understanding of a deeper, deeper walk with Him. Oh, I knew Him, but I knew Him way more clearly after than I did before. It's not our religion and works, but it is our faith in Jesus Christ alone that makes us righteous before an almighty God. It's the kind of message that's kind of hard to land because I know the Holy Spirit's working. I know He's working in this room. I know He's working right across the way. I know He's working in Palmerton and in Lehigh. I know He's working. I feel Him working. I sense Him working. I'm just aware of the Holy Spirit that much that He is confirming His work. Let's, let's look at our stage and let's just say, God, lead me to the right stage in relationship with you. Give me strength where I'm fearful. Give me knowledge where I'm short. And give me the peace to follow you and the determination to say yes to you. We can do this. I know we can do this. Lord, we thank you that you did not leave this part out about the Apostle Paul. But you put this in to the scriptures and let us see it and read it. And Lord, it's like looking at a mirror today because we get to see who you are. You're our standard of excellence. You're our truth, our way, our life. And so we see where we come up short on our own and where you fill those gaps in. So today we come to you and we cast our anxieties on you. We cast our stresses on you. We tell you we have bars in front of us and even though the gates open and made free from sends dominion over us by Christ's death and resurrection. Lord, sometimes we just limit ourselves, but we don't want to. So I pray that you would remove those bars, and Lord, sometimes those are so, so much our security that we just kind of almost grown accustomed to them and feel like, well, I have to do that too. But we know this isn't a Christ plus faith. This is in Christ alone. And so we stand on your rock, on your word. And when we get to heaven, if we're asked, why should I let you into my heaven? We're just going to say, because I trusted the man on the middle cross. I trusted in the man of the empty tomb. I trusted in the man, Jesus Christ, the divine man, God's son. And Lord... We know that's the right answer you teach us in your word. Thank you for being a lamp and a light to our path, to our feet. Hear the prayer of everyone today. If anyone is confessing sin to you, let them just confess it right there where they are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I invite you into my life right now. I thank you for dying on the cross. Forgive my sin. I trust in you completely for my salvation. You alone. Thank you for coming into my life just now. Be my Savior. Lead me. Be my Lord. In your name, amen.